So out of like 40 million kids that played baseball at age six, by the time that they would be in the major leagues, it would be point twenty-three zeros, point twenty-three zeros all in a row, then six four. That's the chance of a player actually becoming eligible for retirement at 10 years and getting the full pension. So to make the the 10 year mark is twenty-three zeros six four. And they have six of those players all come from a twelve mile area. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. I mean, you might as well just put a put a, a man in the moon. And that's what Tannic Townsend did. What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to episode number 94 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tomaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I got to chat with Patrick Montgomery from South Carolina. Patrick is a lifelong Yankees fan who fell in love with baseball by collecting cards as a kid. Last summer, Patrick released his first book, The Baseball Miracle of the Splendid Six in Townie Townsend. If you've never heard of the Splendid Six, they're a group of MLB players who lived inside of a 12-mile radius in Virginia and grew up playing each other. Michael Gadire, David Wright, Ryan Zimmerman, Mark Reynolds, BJ, and Justin Upton each played over 10 years in the major leagues and are all a part of Townie Townsend's coaching legacy. Patrick and I chat a lot about what makes these six players in Townie so unique, the mysteries of top build prospects who fizzle out early in their careers, and what it was like for a 10-year-old Patrick to spend an evening locked up in old Yankee Stadium's jail. This was a great interview. I learned a lot from Patrick and really enjoyed talking to him about some of the more human interest focused topics in baseball. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Patrick Montgomery. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List. How are things in South Carolina there? They're awesome. And uh, thank you for having me on. It's a uh, real fun thing to do. So thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to, to chat baseball with you. The first question I always start with is, how is it that you fell in love with the game of baseball? I hope it's like a lot of other little boys and girls out there, but it started with um, baseball cards. When I was about four or five, I would save my nickels and buy baseball cards. And if I got a Yankee, it was a great day. And uh, that's how it started. And then the first time I went to a game, it was like uh, seeing my heroes you know, out there live. So that's how I fell in love with baseball. Yeah. So you mentioned if you got a Yankee, it was a great day. And is it fair to assume that the Yankees are still your team or do you support somebody else now? The Yankees are definitely my team. I I, I don't want to say because I'm 51, so I don't really live and die anymore with the team, but they're definitely my favorite team. But um, the more I read and write and uh, learn about other players, I, I really appreciate other teams as well. Yeah. So like, I, I used to hate the Red Sox. Hate them, hate them, hate them. But even now, I'm even like, oh, what are you going to do? They, you know, they're trying kind of thing. So, you know. <laughs> well, there's a lot of rich history there with that club, yeah. too. So I imagine you have some some kind of a soft spot for them. But mm-hmm. you have a book out called The Splendid Six. But before we dive too far into that, I'd like sure. to kind of hear about, you just alluded to, writing, reading, researching. How is it that you kind of started down this avenue of, you know, wanting to be a baseball author and Mm -hmm. what was it that piqued your interest about that well i've had a very untraditional start to uh, writing i was in the coast guard for about 20 something years and i retired in 2015 
And my job in the Coast Guard was to do um, writing and talking to the media and things like that. So I always knew how to write. But as far as baseball, I never wrote about baseball before. Um, I never tried to write a book before. But last year I decided, hey, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be about baseball and I'm going to write it in four months. And that's what I did. I put my mind to it and I wrote a book about baseball. And now I'm writing another book about baseball as well. Four months is a very short time frame, so that's that's fairly impressive. What made you pick the Splendid Six? I mean, so for for listeners who don't know who they are, I didn't realize that this group of players had kind of its own nickname. But give us a little backstory as to who they are, and then also what your connection to that clump of players is. Well, I don't want it to sound like a cliche, but kind of is. I didn't pick this book. It kind of came to me and it picked me. My, I have a friend of mine in South Carolina that runs a coastal plain baseball team. They were the same league that the Savannah Bananas were in up till this year. Right. They're the college baseball league. And he runs the league and his son-in-law happens to be Mark Reynolds, the former player and then also one of the Splendid Six. Now, I met him a couple of times before and I always wanted to talk baseball with him especially since he played for the Yankees for, for a little while. I mean, my favorite player was Derek Jeter. And I'm like, you know, I always kind of asked about Jeter and he never really wanted to talk about, about baseball. And I get that now, now getting to know these players a little bit. Um, so I would talk to him and I would kind of get like the, yeah, but I'm Mark. Let's talk about Mark kind of thing. So I met him again after he retired from baseball. And this time he was much more willing to uh, talk about baseball. I think because he retired and it wasn't near as uh, probably hard for him. So we were talking and I was like, like I was trying to find something to say that wasn't about him, but still about baseball. And I was like, well, didn't you play with, uh, you know, one of the Upton brothers and David Wright and all thing back in Virginia? He was like, yeah, people know about that. But what they don't know is it was a much bigger group of players. It was six of us that, that kind of came up playing with each other. And against each other. But not only that, but the coach was this guy named Townie Townsend. And you should really learn about him because he's the real story of what you want to know. So kind of thought about it. And then he gave me like a 15 second kind of backdrop on him that Townie was a former first round pick that kind of got uh, blackballed out of the game for, for some stuff and kind of pushed aside. And instead of being bitter, he put his time and energy trying to make things better in baseball for these kids. And then unfortunately he died of cancer just as these six players were starting to make it big. And then I'm driving home like eight minutes to the park. That's all it was. And I was like, okay, I have to research this to find out more about it. And I got to tell the story because these six players of David Wrights and Ryan Zimmerman's and Kadires and the Upton brothers, they all had their moment in the sun. And we all know about that. But what about Tony Townsend? What about the parents that put so much work in these players? Let's, let's talk about them and their story. So that was it. Um, a week later, I sat down from my computer and started writing. Nice. Yeah, I know the Upton brothers well. As a Tampa Bay Rays fan, I, I spent many okay. a year watching BJ out in the outfield at the Trop. So when, when I was reading about the Splendid Six, I had no idea that they – all kind of grew up in the same general vicinity and had that that connection in the history 
with each other. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense, right? Like if you're playing great players every single day, you yourself are going to turn into a great player. But did you get a chance to speak with any of the other? I know David Wright wrote the foreword of the book. So did you get a chance to speak with any of the other players, any of the Splendid Six? And were they were they kind of excited to tell the story about Townie? Well, that's the thing about it is not many baseball superstars would be like, yeah, let's talk about me and put me in a book. That sounds great. That wouldn't happen. And especially with a writer that never wrote a book before and they didn't know. But what happened was it wasn't about them. It was about Townie Townsend a person that they greatly respected. So, yes, I was able to talk with all six of the Splendid Six, as well as uh, Chris Taylor of the Dodgers, who is playing now. So all seven of them were very gracious for the time. I met in person, or I talked to them on the phone, to each of them, and they gave me as much time as I needed to uh, get the story. So they were extremely gracious and, and humble and kind with everything that they did with the book. Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm really, I'm really thrilled to hear that. Are there any stories that you can share either from the book or from the players themselves that wouldn't give too much away, you know, from what's in the book? There's a story about uh, Townie Townsend and Michael Bedire that it's in the book, but to me, it just really shows who Townie was and also how Kadire, Michael Kadire is just a genuinely a really good guy. And when I met him and talked to him, he is just really salt of the earth, a good guy. If you didn't know who he was, you would have no idea. So Kadir is only 18 years old, and he's kind of battling, thinking about, what do I do? Do I, do I go play in college? You know, yeah, I'm going to be a first-round pick. What am I going to do kind of thing? And County Townsend always did these baseball clinics, and a lot of times he had these players come out and help him. And Michael Kadir was helping him that day. And it was kind of like the uh, idea of the old man and the son going out in the backyard and playing catch. Mm-hmm. And one day the young man thinks he can beat the old man or something. And it kind of happened like that. <laughs> so the kids in the clinic were like, hey, let's have a, let's see who can hit more home runs. You are our coach Downey. And coach Downey's like, oh, no, I'm injured. Oh, my shoulder. Oh, I don't know about that. And and Michael Goddard is like, well, why bother? You know, we know who would win anyway kind of thing. And all of a sudden, Coach Town Townsend got the competitive uh, nature back and they all, and they're starting a home run derby. <laughs> and Michael Gadire, you know, he goes up first. Bam, bam, bam. He's Michael Gadire. He's a, he's a first-round pick. He's going to, you know, be a star. He hits, I forgot the number, but he hits a really good number. And Coach Townie goes up there. Boom, 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 boom. And he beats him. And you know, all the kids are like, wow, the old man's the old man still gods, he still has it. And Michael Gadire, you know, he didn't say when I talked to him that he let Townie win, but it was kind of like I could see the slightest wink when I looked at him, kind of like I couldn't beat him because it, it was it was Townie. Just so much respect there for our Townie Townsend. So that I, I thought was a really great story that I really enjoyed hearing from him. And then another story that kind of shows Coach Townie Townsend and his competitive nature and the throwback to the way he was. Now, keep in mind, this is probably 30 years ago. Easy. We've changed a little bit in our competitive and the way we frame ideas. But uh, he was in an adult men's baseball league, and he was a a pitcher. He was probably 30 years old, and he could still throw 
you know, 90, 92, you know, so pretty good for, for a guy that was, he, he was not even a pitcher. Right. So this young guy comes up, a catcher, and comes in and Townie Townsend throws one up and in. He never met, he never, he uh, never knew the guy before, never met him. It's a young guy. So, all right, I'm going to buzz him. He buzzed him. So the guy starts drawing at him and getting, and gets mad. So next pitch, Townie Townsend once again hits him. Yeah, he jawed, so he got hit. So instead of running down the base, he dropped his bat, started yelling at Townie, and, and he almost kind of got into it. And he goes where he runs, all he gets down to first base. So next at bat, the guy comes up. So to Townie, it was a done deal. You know, all's good. I hit you. You ran. Okay, we're good. So the kid proceeds to hit a home run. <laughs> and then he stands there posing the whole time. So Townie Townsend, has, he finally starts his trot. Chases him all around the bases, yelling at him. And the catcher, who was a minor leaguer at the time also, followed them around to home plate. And the three of them proceeded to get into a, uh, you know, a, a fist cuff to decide what was, what was going to happen with it. So that was his introduction to, to this player. And the two of them became uh, best friends, you know, down the line as, as they got older. So... I mean, that's a good introduction Introduction to the person that you became friends with. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I imagine that story came up often, too, whenever they yeah, were <laughs> meeting friends. Um, that's cool. So talk a little bit about the research process, if you don't mind. You know, kind mm-hmm. of where where are you looking? Who are you talking to? What stood out about Townie that made you want to focus more on him than the individual players? Well, for me, it was the fact that everybody I talked to about Townie had nothing but the best things to say about him. Like, I could never drag anything negative about him. The only thing negative they would say I consider positive was that he was competitive and he had a hard time backing down. Mm. I think that's kind of a positive thing when you're a player. And as a coach, he brought that the nature to the kids, but he also balanced it by teaching them how to be uh, strong people and that baseball was not the end all and be all to the world. So uh, he showed that competitive being competitive also had another side to it. So I didn't find anything negative about him at all. And what I really liked about coach Townie was just an aura of respect that everybody had for him. All, all the parents, I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've been around a travel ball um, organization in the last five, 10 years, and the parents can be quite a handful. Uh, there's always a lot of backfighting and, a lot of stuff, but none of the parents all these years later had nothing negative to say. All the kids, the kids that never became stars, that just played for a season, for a season, didn't blame Townie for not making it. They all knew what a great guy he was and what a great coach. So nothing negative from all the players, all the uh, fellow coaches, and all the parents. So that really got me into what he was doing. Then also when I learned more about him, I learned about his past in a minor league baseball and being a first round pick and being drafted, I think five times and they made him to the, uh, into baseball. And I learned that story. Then I learned that later in life, he became very religious and, and uh, with that, and he, how it affected him as a, as a person as well. And with him battling uh, brain tumors and cancer for about five years before he died. So his story had a very compelling arc, but it wasn't a story of sadness. It was a story of, just love for baseball and the people around him. And I found it beautiful. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? That That's 
a great story. Mm-hmm. I I really like what you said about how parents in particular, you know, I, I feel like players usually have an innate respect for their coaches, but you're absolutely yeah. right, especially nowadays that, you know, parents tend to sometimes think they know better yeah. and, you know, they, they put a lot of importance on how much playing time their kid is getting or if their kid's making it to the next level, which is why I think it's so important still for coaches to kind of step in and sometimes be that guiding voice of reason saying like, hey, it's going to be okay if you never play for the Yankees. You're still learning life lessons that you're going to carry forever. So I'd love to hear that there are people like that out in the world. Well, and that's the thing with Townie. Like he would have practices where, they wouldn't even get on the field. They would they would sit around in a circle or the stands, and he would talk to them about baseball itself. He would go through the poem of Casey at bat, and the kids would have to learn the uh, the poem. Yeah. And it wasn't like, like oh, like, you know, this is an art session. It was a matter of making the kids focus and, and understand, as well as uh, practice the skills that it could be to be a baseball player. It's not just physical. It's, it's a mental game as well. And that was a big part of uh, Town & Townsend. And these batting drills, they're kind of non-traditional from what we do today. He had a disc, like a Cool Whip disc. They're like, and he'd flip it to the batter. And the way that they would dive and dip and and whatever, he was he taught the batters how to hit the how to hit the ball at like a real sweet spot. So because the disc is like that thick, right? And he would so the players would learn how to focus really hard on the one spot and they hit true. So. David Wright, when he uh, made the minor leagues, he was confused why nobody else was doing the um, the cool whip discs. Because for him, it was a thing since he's been six, seven years old. So, I mean, I, I love that story. And also love the fact that the players, the more they played, the discs would start to break down inside. And instead of the rally cap on backwards or upside down, they'd wear the cool whip um, insert as a helmet, as like, like a halo. <laughs> and that was their the rally cap. I mean, so imagine like David Wright and those kids out there with a cool whip uh, top in the, in the dugout. Like I love that imagery. And when I was talking to David about that, he he remembers it like it was yesterday. And that's what I love about that town of Townsend. These kids know these lessons and can remember these silly things years later. Yeah, that's hilarious. I would have loved to have seen that in the uh, major league dugouts. That would yeah. have been quite yeah, exactly. the sight to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think sometimes like we forget how it's a kid's game and just, just play it for the love of the game and being, being simple. And, you know, that's kind of like a reminder of that for me. Yeah, definitely. So sometimes it's, it's, it's way too easy to take it very seriously, even for us as fans when it's not our livelihood on the line. So, um, yeah, what a great story. I love that. I'll never look at a cool whip container the same way. (laughs) Absolutely. Me either. And by the way, I've tried it. I've tried flipping it and stuff. But I cannot make it do it like that. And according to Tiny Townsend's uh, children, he was the only person that could ever make it do the flips and dives and curves and, and all that. Um, and the kids and kid in the camps would have a record by how many in a row they could hit. Yeah. And uh, Jacob Dempsey, who was a longtime player in the um, in the in the minor leagues and also independent leagues, he had the record for the camp with like fifty eight or fifty nine. But it meant that much to those players that all those years later. When you talk to his players, they still know about Jacob Dempsey and him hitting the caps. I mean, the the, the tops. Yeah. So I enjoy that too. <laughs> That's a cool story. What a tradition. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds like Townie might have been a, a pretty decent um, frisbee golf player if if he had ever tried his hand at that. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> 
where is this region? Where exactly is it that that these six superstars came from and Townie was coaching? It's an area that you would never think would be a baseball area. Um, Norfolk, Virginia is right next to it. It's that same little region. It's a tidewater. Tidewater is the region. It's a tends to be a big Navy town because it has all the Navy there. And it's a very wide area. But the weather there is pretty dark and gray. It's uh, pretty murky. It's just a wet, rainy, doesn't really get snow, but it's not a pleasant environment for about probably eight months a year. Um, so the fact that these kids were able to, to compete is amazing. I mean, we all know about the kids playing uh, ball in Texas and California and Florida. I mean, they should be good. They're, they're playing 12 months a year. But in Virginia, the area, they, they couldn't do that. They could only play a few months a year. So Townie started the first travel ball organization in the area, really. So the Blasters and the Drillers came up. Townie's team was the Blasters. And like the Harm, um, like the Harm Globetrotters, you need a, uh, a competitor. Right. So he had one of his friends start the Drillers. And the two of those teams would play all the time against each other, practice and and games and then as they got better and better doing the tournaments and they go together more or less and they would compete so the players like ryan zimmerman and godiers and all those players all became better and better as they outgrew the area and started going to tournaments together that's pretty cool yeah the uh what's the name of the the team that the globetrotters play on a regular basis oh, the washington generals yes. that's right yeah it's yeah. just like the savannah bananas you mentioned before they now play the party animals every night so <laughs> um yeah. that's cool so you have this book about the splendid six you alluded to the fact a little earlier that you are in the process of writing another book what mm-hmm. is the idea behind that one well the great thing is that this book the uh, Splendid Six really was a personal challenge to me just to try to do, try to do a book and try to see if I can get traction with it. And it did very well. It's doing very well. So that that's great. And with the attention of this book, um, I got, I got picked up by a, uh, by a uh, publishing house and, and a, uh, and a writing agent. I'm, I'm now with uh, Roman and uh, Littlefield. And my next book is on uh, touching, touching greatness, basically. It's the players that came so close to making the major leagues are becoming big stars. And for some reason, it just didn't work out. Mm. With players like Brian Taylor, um, Ben Grieve, who won the uh, Rookie of the Year, he had a great start, and then his career didn't quite work out the way people thought. So players like that, um, the player who struck at 27 batters in, in a uh, game in the minor leagues, nobody ever heard about him. And let's, let's find out more about him. So it's players like that that just – at one time, they were in your head. You got the baseball card, and you went, "Yes, I'm saving this because it'll be the next, you know, right. 51 mantle card." And uh, now they're now it didn't happen. So what happened and why? And every player that I've, I've talked to so far, there's no negativity, there's no bitterness, there's nothing but just love of the game and uh, an appreciation that they had a shot. So that's that's the book I'm working on now. Oh, that's going to be great. That's going to be a great read. What a what an interesting topic, you know, and I know exactly there's a, a number of players who kind of come to mind as that same, like, you see them coming up through the system and you're like, oh, man, this is a future Hall of Famer. And then for whatever reason, kind of the wheels just fall apart. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not even something that you can actually like put your finger on. But that's that's going to be a great topic to cover. 
Well, for a, a kid growing up around New York City, when the Yankees had the first round pick, I mean, the, the first pick in the draft back in 91, um, Brian Taylor was the guy. And I remember just like begging the Yankees, like, don't let him slip away, sign him, sign him. And they finally got him. And then two years later, pretty much, you know, the injury and gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's always what in the back of my mind had me thinking about this player that was going to be so great that never made the, never even made the major leagues. And what's he doing now? What's happening now? So players like him kind of got my uh, my thought wrong on that. Yeah. And as I've been talking to these players, I've been surprised about where they are and what they're doing. And it's actually, it makes baseball even better to me. Is there something that comes to mind if I were to ask you about your favorite baseball memory? Hmm. I, have two, I have two or three because... You know, it's hard to really pin it down. It's like asking me, like, what your favorite child is or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, for for me, is it always kind of goes back to the, to the uh, first game I went to. For some reason, the the tickets we always got was against the uh, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. I don't know how or why, but it was like in the late seventies when I went to my first game, and I just remember going going there. I'm probably six years old or so, and they were playing. The Brewers were a good team, but I didn't care about them. I wanted to see Reggie Jackson. I wanted to see Bucky Dent and Greg Nettles and everything else. But Cecil Cooper, I mean, he was playing, and I never heard of him. But every time he got up, he made something amazing happen. <laughs> it was just fun to watch. And for a Yankee fan, I'm like, okay, yeah, but Cecil Cooper, look at this guy. He's amazing. Then, So that was my first memory of baseball, and I, I loved it. So to this day, I still follow Cecil Cooper and – and the Brewers and everything else because that happens. My second memory may not have been as as nice. Uh, we were in the stands. It was a uh, it was a uh, Yankee bat night, and I got into a, a bat thing with my uncle. And I was a kid. I was maybe ten years old, and somehow it turned into a big beer fight. Uh oh. And not me. I'm not drinking, but everybody else started throwing beer at my uncle. And then I got thrown into the uh, Yankee uh, you know, pen jail because I started a ruckus. So there I am, 10 years old in Yankee jail, just looking around going, what am I doing with life? So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> My third memory was the uh, David Wells perfect game. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I was sitting in the, uh, in the bleacher creature area. My wife-to-be, um, like we were just dating, and I said, hey, let's go to the Yankee game. And just got the $5 bleacher seats, and we sat there, and you know, it was so loud. And my wife was a Phillies fan, didn't really like the Yankees, and we we're sitting there at the eighth and ninth inning. She's like, Scott, the game's boring. What's going on? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, no runs, no hits, no errors. I'm like, well, say that again. Your, your head a little louder. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then I remember her in the ninth inning just on top of the thing, just yelling and cheering. <laughs> so it's fun to see that that turnabout, dude, to be caught in that that Beanie Baby, uh, you know, funness. Yeah, because it was, it was uh, Beanie Baby Day, so everyone's going nuts. And uh, that was great. Then afterwards, getting beers at stands and everything else, and it was just a really great day. So that was a, an amazing memory. It's in one was with my uh, family growing up. The other one was my uncle's going to do a do a jail. Then the third one was my uh, wife's baby. So kind of made the whole arc. So that was pretty nice. So you've been to jail at Old Yankee Stadium. You're the first person I've talked to who is who's been in the pen there. <laughs> it's not pretty, and the smell is definitely all New York City. Yeah, I can imagine, especially as a ten year old. Oh, yeah. 
That's a hilarious story. It was the first time in my life that I really questioned my, my life choices. <laughs> yeah. Yet you're still a Yankee fan. <laughs> uh, yeah. And by the way, I shouldn't say it, but I do not like the uh, new Yankee Stadium. Really? It, it doesn't feel the same at all. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard of a, a lot of kind of, um, you know, the... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's basically like a moat to keep the regular fans away from the wealthy fans. Yeah, it just takes the emotion out of the game, and mm-hmm. like you can't fill the the stadium with the same with the same sound. Uh, like to make a memory with my daughter, um, she loves the Yankees. She's fanatic beyond belief. And the year that the Astros were playing the Yankees in the LCS, and uh, Garrett Cole was an Astro playing against the Yankees, mm-hmm. and we went to the game. We flew up from South Carolina. We got a room in Times Square, just her and I. So we can make a big, big thing. And we go there, and it was loud, but it was like a carbon tin copy. Like the fans are banging the walls and just didn't have the same oomph to it. And, uh, I mean, so she felt great. She felt like it was, it was an amazing thing. But part of me felt like if she only knew what, you know, 78, 79, 80, you know, was, was about. Like if they knew that just the – the smell, the sounds, the way the way just echoed in there. But she won't know that. And that's that's kind of a shame. Yeah. My so my dad talks a lot about old Tiger Stadium because he grew up, you know, near Detroit and he talks about mm-hmm. how devastated he was when they, they finally tore that down and how of course Comerica is a beautiful ballpark. It's it's phenomenal as mm-hmm. a, a newer park, but it doesn't have that same his thing was always like the bleachers of old tiger stadium or wood and you could yeah. make noise that mm-hmm. you just can't replicate on concrete, obviously. So yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying about old Yankee and new Yankee just never being the same. Yeah. And I mean, not to get an old diatribe about the cost and everything else too. It's just, right. I think it's out of control. Um, that's why I do like minor league baseball. Yeah. It still has some of that left and I enjoy that a lot. You're in, baseball mecca there kind of in the Carolinas in terms of the minor league teams, who, who would you say you see the most? Well, in Columbia, we have the fireflies that was the Mets. Mm-hmm. And now I think the Rockies, I'm not sure. Uh, no, they're the Royals, I believe. And Charleston used to have the Yankees for the longest time, but they moved out. Uh, and then Augusta has a team as well. So you have a nice little triangle there. Uh, for me, the uh, stadium out in Charleston is, is the nicest one. It's right by the water. Um, Bill Murray was involved for the longest time. Right. So it was just a lot of shenanigans. I remember the first game we went to, all the players came in by taxi cab for the, for the introductions. So they had all the players all lined up in taxi cabs the whole way through. <laughs> and that was crazy. Then the fireworks at night, I really thought we were going to die because they all went sideways and it was just like complete chaos. You couldn't see anything in front of you. So that was a really enjoyable night. And having uh, the Bill Nye the Science guy there throwing at the first pitch. I mean, that's entertainment and yes. that's baseball. So I enjoy I, I enjoy that stadium. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I haven't been out to Charleston. The River Dogs, I they're on my yeah. list. I would love to see them. They're now affiliated with my Rays. So um I I do plan to get out there eventually. And then of course, like you said, it's right there by the river. So I mean you can't really you can't really beat that. And yeah. Charleston is a great place to be for, for a couple of days as well. So that is the, the best place to go in, in the area for, for minor league baseball. Yeah. 
what's left to check off on the baseball bucket list? What's that that top one or two items that you're just like, I mean, you've seen a perfect game. I'm not sure that yeah. like it's really fair to even ask you this question, but I'm sure there's something. No, but that's the great thing about baseball is you, just, you never know what's going to happen. That's I right. mean, like I remember years ago, the Yankee prospect was, was uh, playing for Charleston and I thought he was going to be the next big thing. He came to Columbia and I, I scouted him, right? Like my head. And it's like, <laughs> oh, he's going to be so good. And he was great that day. Then like three or three or four years later, he's out of the game. So I love that. You can see the players as they're rising and make your own opinions. Uh, I saw Tim Tebow play in uh, left field for, cool. for the Fireflies. Yeah. You know, waved at him. You know, wave back. It's just, I love that connection about it. Um, but for me, I would say I've never done it and I got to bite the bullet on it. I have to go to Fenway Park. I have to do it just out of respect to the game. I like the fact that their, their park is more or less the same. And I love the fact that the uh, New York Yankees basically paid the mortgage on the park um, at Fenway when they traded for uh, Babe Ruth. Yeah. Um, it's a loan to, uh, to pay off Fenway as well. So I love that. Um, before my two girls went to college, I said, all right, we're, we're going on a road trip. And it was going to be either Fenway or Wrigley. So we went to Wrigley. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. wearing my Wrigley Field t-shirt. And we went there for two games. My daughter likes the Brewers as well, which is kind of funny. Uh, so we went there and uh, saw a couple of games and it was time to life. So I definitely appreciate the old parks and the old teams. So Fenway Park is on my list. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great one. It's um, And as someone who, you know, you mentioned loving Yankee Stadium, you'll appreciate yeah. the history there for sure. And probably why you felt uh, so connected to Grayson Stadium in Savannah. Um, yeah, I'll just be there. Yeah, that old timey feel. You kind of you kind of get the the vibes of the ghost, the baseball ghost walking around, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. If people want to follow you online, if they want to, you know, find your book, where do they where yeah. do they go to do that? Well, I'm on Amazon. I mean, like we all are, but uh, the Baseball Miracle, the Splendid Six, is on Amazon, and you can get it there or on Book Baby and Twitter. It's at Montgomery book is as I'm on there. I have a, I always try to post things with baseball and try not to yell about stuff too much, but be happy. Um, TikTok, which, uh, Patrick Montgomery books. And also if you want to email me, it's uh, PT Montgomery books at gmail.com. And that's it. And, uh, I just kind of, I just want to make like one little point. Yeah. As I talk to all the players, you know, like as a fan, you go, Oh, you know, Aaron Judge, he batted only 262 last year, struck out 200 times. What's he doing? Then you realize, wait a minute, you know how hard it is for these players to actually make it? I mean, you hear the stat like 1% and all that kind of stuff, but it's way, way, way lower than that. If you take all the players that played rec ball as a kid, literally rec ball at age six and up, each one's a filter point. So half go, the half go, the half go, and half go. So out of like, 40 million kids that play baseball at age six, by the time that they would be in the major leagues, it would be point 23 zeros, like 20 point and 23 zeros all in a row, then six, four. That's the chance of a player actually becoming eligible for retirement at 10 years and getting the full pension um, at, at 10 years. So to make the, the 10 year mark is 23 zeros, six, four. And I mean, you cannot even put a number on that. Yeah. Well, you I guess you can. They have six of those players all come from a 12-mile area. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. And to have them all come up around together 
same coaches playing each other. I mean, you might as well just put a put a, a man on the moon. And that's what Tannic Thompson did. So pretty yeah, cool. That's incredibly impressive. I mean, that's a my my brain's having trouble even just kind of like visualizing that number uh yes. in my head. <laughs> so well, I feel like you got a better I, chance at winning the lottery or getting struck by lightning or <laughs> <laughs> I uh talked to a person in Saber. It was my daughter. She's she's part of Saber. And um she was the first woman to take their Saber Metrics course online. And she took she's the first woman to take all their sit their courses on analytics and pass them. Wow. So she like that was her project from um, between college classes was I'm gonna do this because she wants to work for Major League Baseball. So she took all the courses on, on analytics and I was like sitting there with my little calculator and pen trying to figure, figure out this problem. And she took like two days to just go through all the stats and with the with the Major League Baseball Players Association and baseball reference and everything. And she boiled down this number. She rendered it down to that amazing number. I'm like, are you sure? And she ran right, right in front of me again and again and again. And every time I'm like, okay, now I'll put it in the book. So in the book, I have a whole chapter and chances of a player making it to in you know, Major League Baseball. So that's that's my favorite chapter in the book. Yeah, that's incredible. It's even it's I mean much 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 smaller than you would have initially thought. So wow, that's crazy. And then like you said, six of them all to come from a relatively and not not necessarily like a baseball hotbed, you cool. know. Um, so yeah. wow, what a testament to to how good of a coach Townie was. So absolutely, that's that's really cool. Well, and it wasn't just Townie. I mean, like Townie had, had his friends or coaches as well, and like Gary Lavelle, who was an all star pitcher for the Giants back in the day. Uh, Gary Wright, I mean, they all did great things. Um, Alan Irby, they all pitched in and just made these great players. And that's what matters. And that's why Town and Towns matters. It wasn't just him, but people around him picked up just where he left off mm. and everything's still going. Yeah. And it's a testament to Downing. I love that. That's such a great story. Patrick, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us and making the time and sharing the story. Thank you so much. I definitely appreciate your, your time and and talk about baseball. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Patrick Montgomery for joining us today and sharing those great stories about Townie Townsend, the Splendid Six, and his own baseball fandom. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. While you're there, make sure to spend some time checking out the site, sign up for a free membership, build your own baseball bucket list, track your ballpark visits, and connect with other fans. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.